The title of my sermon this morning in our all-in series that we're working our way through is Generations. Generations. And I'll be coming from Deuteronomy chapter 6. We'll bounce through portions of this text. At the very end, we're going to come back to 2 Kings chapter 19 and verse 20. So if you want to write down 2 Kings, uh, I'm sorry, 2 Kings 20 and verse 19, we'll come back to that at the end. When D.L. Moody began his ministry in Chicago, he began holding Sunday schools in some of the worst areas of the city with some of the kids from the worst backgrounds possible. These were homes that were broken down. Many of them had never been in church a day in their life, and so they had no idea how to act in church. And they were hard to handle, and they frustrated their teachers routinely. One teacher came to Moody one time and was ready to throw this one child out of her class because of the bad behavior. And Moody asked the teacher, have you tried loving him? To which she replied, I tried that, and it didn't work. What do I do now? Moody quickly shot back, time to increase the dosage. See, more than anything else, Dwight Lyman Moody wanted the next generation to know and love and follow and serve Jesus Christ with every breath in them. And he laid his life on the line in the good times and in the bad. You remember last June when we went to Nicaragua, I was reading D.L. Moody's biography. Well, I'm bad to start a book and not finish it. It's on my desk. It's been there since June. Buey, I'll return it to the library hopefully one day. I'm still finishing D.L. Moody's biography along with about four or five other books. But D.L. Moody went through some real hard times. Some real bad times where he was badly maligned and some things were said about him They were unfair and wrong and cruel. And you know what he kept in his sights the entire time? The children. These ragamuffin little rascals from around the city of Chicago that he wanted to see come to know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. There's a story of Moody sitting in a saloon that was abandoned. A saloon, imagine that. And it was filled with darkness. It was one little candle that was lighting that empty saloon that had been abandoned. And Moody had a child on his lap and about 20 around him in front of him. He had a candle in one hand. He was balancing a child on his knee and holding the Bible like this. And he was trying to impress upon this child's heart the truths of the Word of God. Listen, because he was hungry. He wasn't going to settle for a routine where the younger generations coming behind said, we go through the motions with our spiritual routine. He wanted people to know Jesus Christ. And in Deuteronomy chapter 6, Moses challenges Israel to have the same kind of compassion and passion and commitment in the spiritual training of the next generation. See, what happened in the book of Deuteronomy chapter 5, and eventually we'll, we'll get to this, but But what happens is God gives the law to Moses in chapter 5. And he says, your job is to give it to the people. And their job is to pass it on to the next generations. So they will not forget me. So that the fear of me will always be before their eyes. Do you know what's about to happen here? Moses is not going into the promised land. Do you remember that from Numbers chapter 20? Moses is not getting to go in because of his disbelief. God said, you're not going to lead them in. But there's a new time coming. There's a new generation coming. There's a new group of young people that are going to step into a new chapter, a new time, a new place, and face new challenges. And Moses, it's your job to get them ready. 
So Moses knows he's not going with this people. Okay? I'm not, not playing off of this. I actually do pull for NC State. But Mark Godfrey recently was, was fired as the NC State head coach. For whatever you want to say about Godfrey, you know what he's not done? He's not checked out on his team. And he's coaching them and he's pouring into those boys and I admire that. You know what Moses could have done? Moses could have said, fine, I'm not going in. You guys fend for yourself. I ain't worried about the next generation. It's not what he does. He says, it's my job to hand these things off to the parents and grandparents that are still here today. And most of that old generation that received the covenant at Sinai, most of them were gone. And he says, it's my job to hand it off so that they'll hand it off. I ran the 4 by 4 I know that's hard to believe, but I ran the 4 by 4 for my track team in high school. I was the B team, not the A team. And you know what we worked on in practice? Handing off the baton. Not the running. I had that part down pat. Even as short as I am, I was relatively fast, believe it or not. But we worked on handing off the baton because that's the crucial point in the race. And that's what Moses is doing right here. He wants to make sure before they go into this new chapter in their history, they know who they are as God's people. That their identity is wrapped up in God. Not them. Not their agendas. Not their preferences. But in God and what He says, in the fear of the Lord that's passed down and handed down, that's going to go with them all their days. He wants to make sure of this, that they know how they got to where they are. If you're going down the road and you pass a fence post and there's a turtle up on the fence post, what do you know about it? It didn't get there by itself. Somebody picked that turtle up and put it on the fence post, and that's the only way it got there. That's the only way Israel got to where they are. And Moses wants to make sure that they don't become puffed up with pride when they have all these good things in this new land and say, look at us. Look at what we've done. Look at what we've accomplished. God is giving them this victory. That's how they got there. And he wants to make sure they know where they're going in the future. So Moses does two things in Deuteronomy 6. He gives them a view toward the future for most of the chapter. He gives them a view toward the future, and at the very end, he says to them, when your son asks you, here's what you tell him. You know what he's doing there? He's reminding them of the value of their past. Okay? He says, look toward the future, but don't forget about the past. Here's where we are as a church. Do you see this? Look around this room. There's a lot of strong, deep, spiritual legacy in this room. But there's a future that God wants us to chase and a vision He wants us to unite around as a church and we can't lean so far forward that we forget to lean back on what's before us and we can't lean so far back that we can't take the next steps forward. We would do well to learn the lessons that Moses is teaching them. This morning I want to talk to you about commending the faith to the next generation of people. I heard the pastor last weekend in Charlotte say this. He told his church, he says, Church, we will lean into that which will outlive us. We will lean into that which will outlive us. As a people, together, that's what we will be about. So how do we do that? Number one, here's what we learn. The next generation needs us to model faith in God. We need to model faith in God. We've heard the saying before that some things are better caught than taught. 
right? Some things are better caught than taught. What did Shannon talk about to the kids? Have you ever watched your parents when they didn't know you were looking? They were catching that example. That runoff was trickling down into the lives of little eyes and little ears and little hands and little feet. Some things are better caught than taught. And Moses wants this younger generation to catch mom and dad and grandma and grandpa living out the faith. You know why? So that they look back when they're 40 and 50 and 60 and say, this is how they did it. They need a pattern. They need an example to follow. I went through the directory the other day and I just started looking at pictures of you all and praying for you by name. And it just brought back memories of times when I've been in your living rooms and by your hospital beds and at the funeral home. And I've been with some of you now for about two years and some change. And I started to think about all of the spiritual legacy that is right here present in this room. That is a wonderful God-given gift to this church. But you know the best thing we can do? Pay it forward. And give it to these 5-year-olds and 15-year-olds and 35-year-olds like myself that are coming up. And hand that baton off to them. Give them a pattern to follow. Verse 2, he says, Keep the Lord's command so you will fear and reverence God. And your children and grandchildren will do the same. When you were little, did you ever go in your parents' closet? Did you ever go in your parents' closet? And if you're a little boy, you go in there and you get dad's boots out. And you put them on and they come up to your knees, right? And you put dad's jacket on and you put dad's work hat on. And you you tromp around through the house and you want to be like dad. Why? Because dad's your hero. Dad's your example. He's your pattern. Some of you young ladies in this place take and put a special necklace on from mom's jewelry box and you pretend to be your mom as you dance around the living room floor. You have memories of that, don't you? Because that was your hero. That was your pattern. And this new generation, Moses knew it. They need some heroes to follow in their footsteps in this new land. Look down at verse 4. I love the way verse 4 starts out. In our English Bibles, it's kind of an inconspicuous word you might miss pretty easily. But this first word in verse 4 is jam-packed with meaning. It is the beginning to an important Jewish confession of faith called the Shema. In fact, the word in, in Hebrew is Shema. It's Shema O Israel. The Lord our God, the Lord is one. This, this creed was so important to the Jewish faith that they taught children to confess and say this every morning and every evening before they went to bed. It was impressed into their hearts. The other day I was at home and I was helping on Friday. We were getting some things cleaned up and you know what I found stuck to the floor of my living room, dining room? Dried Play-Doh. Dried Play-Doh. That'll bless your heart. And I peeled that dried Play-Doh up, and, and you know what? At one time, that dried Play-Doh wasn't dried out. It wasn't hard. It was soft. It was tender. It was pliable. It was ready to be impressed and shaped and molded. And you know what we have in this room right here? You know what we had down front this morning? You know who's sitting here all the way up to ages 30 and 40 and 60 years old? Some pliable clay. I pray that my heart as a pastor would always be pliable from the word of God to impress on me and from you all that go before me that speak to me and say, wait a minute, think about this, here's a good idea, here's how you can do this. 
their hearts were pliable and the ancient Jews taught them who God was because it would be impressed deeply down in there who He was for their lives. In the New Testament, when Jesus was asked about the greatest commandment, do you remember where He starts? Deuteronomy 6. What does He say? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and strength. That comes from this chapter. This is one of the most important chapters in the Old Testament. And this word Shema is one of the most important words in the Bible. You say, how is that so? Because Shema means to hear. In Hebrew, to hear means to obey. See, nowadays, to hear just means sound comes in this side and goes out that side, right? That's what we want our children to get. We want you to hear and listen to what we're saying. But in Hebrew, this word Shema, it meant to hear, and to hear was the same thing. It was tantamount to obeying. And so if you heard the word of God and you failed to obey it, it was like you basically never heard him at all. And Moses wants to make sure that doesn't happen. He wants to make sure that this present generation is faithfully modeling and listening and loving the Lord by walking in obedience to his law, the second thing that he wants. This next generation needs to teach the word to those coming behind them. So some things, yes, are better caught than taught, but some things can only be taught. So we need to model it, but we also need to teach it. Dawson Trotman, founder of the Navigators, had a passion for evangelism. He, he wandered around through much of his early teens and his 20s. When he came to Christ in his mid to late 20s, he had a passion to share the gospel with anything and anyone that would listen. He would talk to anybody about the Lord. He'd pick up hitchhikers, and before they got to where they were going, he had shared the gospel with them because he so believed in the power of the gospel to change lives. And he had a lot of success. This one man he picked up, they were riding down the road, and he shared the gospel with him. The man received Jesus Christ as his Lord and Savior. And going down that same road one year later, the man worked at the golf course. He was going to go caddy at the golf course. Trotman picked him up, the man gets in his car. And begins swearing like a sailor, just cursing and going on. And Trotman looks at him and is thinking, I know him from somewhere. I've seen him before, I just can't remember. And then it clicks. I led this young man to Christ right here on this road a year ago. And he looks at him and he confronts him about his language and his faith. And he says, he says son, he says, How, why are you talking like that? He said, you gave your life to Jesus Christ a year ago. And through their conversation, you know what Dawson Trotman discovered? That he was a madman when it came to evangelism, but there was nobody to come behind and teach the word of God to this young man. And so he floundered around for a year as a spiritual newborn. There was nobody to disciple him to maturity in his faith. And Moses says that cannot happen. Verse 6, these words I command you today shall be on your heart. You know what that means to be on your heart? I've got a shirt, actually a tie. I think I wore it two Sundays ago. And when I finished preaching, Emily says, you got a stain on your tie. And I said, I know that. I hope that's not the only thing you saw up here while I was preaching. No, I didn't say that to Emily. I'm just kidding. But she said, you got a stain on your tie. You know what? That stain, I don't know what it is. It's probably somebody's food that I was feeding before I came. I don't know. But that stain on that tie is ingrained into the fabric of that tie. It's a part of that tie. It's not coming out anymore. It's staying down in that tie. And that's what it means here. That these things should be on our hearts. 
Verse 7, you shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way, when you lie down and when you rise. In other words, he's saying, don't make God a part of your life. He deserves first place in your life. You know, I had in my notes here, he needs. God doesn't need first place. God doesn't need first place. He deserves first place. God doesn't need anything. God will be worshipped. God will be praised. Every knee will bow. Every tongue will confess. So why not willingly and gladly lift up the King of Kings and say, You have the throne of my heart today. We need to teach our children and our grandchildren to do that. And all of us together as a church can be a part of that process together. Last weekend, our family went down to Charlotte to celebrate the dedication of my nephew Noah. And the pastor was down front and all these families were lined up across the front. And the pastor looked at my brother among others. And he said to my brother and to my sister-in-law, Will you commit to being the primary disciple maker for your child? Did you catch the weight of that question? Do you commit today in front of all these people as witnesses and in front of the Lord to be the primary disciple maker for your child? In other words, will you take the responsibility, you, not the pastor, not the youth pastor, not the Sunday school teacher, not the Christian teacher in the classroom, not the homeschool co-op, will you take the responsibility to impress the Word of God onto your child's heart and to model it in such a way that you winsomely love them and lead them toward Jesus Christ? That's a heavy question. One youth pastor in an article I read said it like this. The most committed students may see me for four hours on a busy ministry week, but then they go home. Students are not born, listen to this, students are not born into churches. They're born into families. That's God's design. And he says, it's a good design. Do you know the family came before the church? What was the first institution in the book of Genesis? Marriage. And then after that came a family. Verse 7 says, teach them diligently to your children. The Holman Christian and the NIV say, repeat them to your children. How do we learn things? By repeating it, right? How do we learn things? By repeating it. Someone says, I've got a terrible memory. I can't memorize scripture. Really? Well, how did you learn the lyrics to that country song last week in two days? Repeating it. Singing it. Saying it. Playing it over and over and over again. Repetition helps us to learn things by doing it. The more we do it, the better we get. He says, repeat God's word to them. Impress it into their hearts. This is our mandate. This is our commission. This is not a suggestion. You may be sitting here this morning saying, I don't have any kids. Look around this room. These words were given to plural the company of the people of Israel because a Howard Edwards can impress on Orion Hayes some truth of God's word that he has taught him. And don't think for a second that my kids and other kids in this church don't go home and say, hey, I heard Mr. Howard say, I used to remember hearing him pray. I remember Miss Shannon teaching us about walking in big shoes. 
I remember watching the fishers of men and the youth get together when I was a kid. We did this. Repeating them to them helps them to learn. And can, can I talk to you for a minute? Listen to me. I heard somebody say this. Somebody, somewhere, is discipling your children. To be a disciple at its simplest is to follow. To follow. The world understands this. The devil understands this. Its system understands this. The world is going to disciple our kids? Or we as parents and grandparents and surrogate grandparents will take this upon ourselves to say we're going to pass off this baton of faith. I began thinking about it this week, about everything that the world's at work trying to do in our kids' lives. Turn on the TV. The programming, I mean, they just changed ABC Family to Freeform. Why? So they can just freely put whatever they want to on that channel. It wasn't a family channel to begin with, but I'm just saying now they are blatantly coming out and saying Freeform. Any way you want to to, to put things across that TV and send it into living rooms to little impressionable minds, we're going to do it. See, 20 and 30 years ago, it used to be more disguised. When I was a little kid, I was singing songs that, uh, that, that I liked, and there were hidden messages. You remember the old thing, play Led Zeppelin backwards on your thing, and you'll hear, it's not even disguised anymore. It's being pumped like a water hydrant into our homes, and we have the remote, hello, Turn it off. Let's open the Word of God. Let's talk about these things. Let's help our children process the world they're living in by pointing them to the Scriptures and not just telling them, no, don't look, don't look, don't look. Tell them don't look, but tell them why don't look. That's what Moses is doing. He's saying this responsibility is incumbent upon us. Have you noticed the commercials today? A kid's TV show can go off. We watch Andy Griffith on TV Land. Without fail, the first commercial that comes on TV Land commercial every time has a sexual undertone. No, overtone. And Carrie and I race for the remote because we're watching wholesome family programming. Greatest show to ever be put on TV. I don't care what anybody says. I love the Andy Griffith show. But right after this wholesome family programming, you know what comes along next? Somebody taking something off somewhere and using some language and posturing themselves in some way that I'm thinking, I don't want my children to see that. The world is coming after them. There was an article on Facebook this week. If you're not on Facebook, I'll share it with you. There is an app. Parents, please hear me. There was an app. There is an app on a phone right now that has a game, and the game is called Roblox. Is that correct, Carrie? Roblox? And I'm not going to go into detail because there are little ears in here that don't need to hear some of the things I'm going to say. But you play this interactive game with other people online. And sexual predators are getting onto this game and connecting with children and connecting with preteens. And they think it's harmless. And all of a sudden they're exposed to some things that I'm not going to mention right here because of the little ears in this room. Beyonce, do I even need to say anything about her? If you don't know who Beyonce is, that's a good thing. But I'm going to tell you something. She's pushing a brand of Satanism and she's pushing it off on people that are worshiping her and she is comparing herself to some kind of God or some kind of deity. The world is coming after our kids. I'm not an alarmist normally, but I'm an alarmist right now because it worries me and it concerns me. 
And don't think you can just cover their eyes and put a blindfold over them through 20 years of life and then they're going to be fine. They've got to have this. This has got to be in the living rooms. This has got to be in the bedrooms. This has got to be when you wake up in the morning and when you go to bed. What did Moses tell the people to do? Yes, this is the Old Testament. But the principle is the same. Movies are passing off agendas. Songs on iPads, iPods, iPhones, i-whatever. I don't care. Listen, there are things going into your kids' ears that you think are harmless and they're listening all, they're bebopping along and there are messages going in there that are conflicting with this word. Be educated. If you're going to give your kid a device, I walked through the schools the other day and I heard these kindergartners, I want to get on the iPad, I want to get on the iPad. You may tell you what I think Satan's going to use to steer this next generation away. Technology. It has a wonderful ability a wonderful ability to send the gospel to places that it's never been. I can tweet something out and somebody across the world can like my tweet about Jesus and about His glory. Or you can get on this thing right here and find whatever you want to find. And parents, let it go unchecked. Some of you in this room are thinking, we didn't have these. I think we'd be better off sometimes if we didn't have these. Amen? But this machine, this device is not the devil. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, the authorities, the principalities of this dark world over the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. We fight against an enemy that's coming after our kids. There's an app on phones. I told this to a dad. There's an app on phones that kids have downloaded. They can hit one button and a fake screen slides over the front of their phone. And mom and dad walk behind them harmlessly at the dinner table and they think they're doing something. And that screen comes down and you know what that screen's doing? A false front on that phone. So that you can hide your activities from your parents because they don't know any better. Nathan had a quote on his wall that rocked me to my core almost every time I read it. Listen to it. Whoever wants this next generation the most will win them. Whoever wants this next generation the most will win them. Can I say something lovingly and tenderly? And I may get some feedback on this and that's okay, but I'm going to say it anyway. The way to win the generation coming up right now may not be the way that we won me 20 years ago or some of you 40 years ago or 60 years ago. The message does not, cannot, should not change. There is one Savior, Jesus Christ. He laid down His life for one baptism, one people, one faith, one God. The message doesn't change. But if we don't look into changing methods as we go, we will become irrelevant. Am I right, guys? One of the things somebody told me, and my wife reminded me of this, when I was brought here, or I was being talked to in 2014, as a potential candidate for the pastor here, there was a word that was used. We want to be relevant. We want to be relevant. Can I say something to you? You can be 80 and cool. You can be 80 and relevant. 
Josephine Coates in Ridgecrest Baptist Church in Durham, North Carolina was 80 years old and she was one of the most uh, godly mentors of my life. And she loved me and she prayed for me and I cut her grass and she made me lemonade and we watched golf together and we talked about Jesus. And she gave me my first opportunity that I can remember to speak to a Sunday school class. Just like our New Hope class. You can be relevant if you're 80. Age has nothing to do with it. It's what you want to be about. Are we going to lean back solely on our past? Or are we going to learn from that past and lean into that which will outlive us? It's our choice. I know what I'm going to do in my home. I'm going to learn from the Josephine Coatses. I'm going to teach my kids to pray. I can't control every decision they make, and, they, and one or more of them may go off the rails, but it's not going to be because I didn't do what God told me to do as a daddy. You hear me? That's a passion of my heart, a passion of my life. And if we want to win this next generation more than the world, more than Beyonce, more than Steve Jobs and Apple, then we've got to be serious and intentional about it. It may mean things don't operate the same way they've always happened. It may mean we try some new things. It may take some guts. It may cost some money. It may get scary. Because people may walk in these back doors that don't look like most of us or talk like most of us. The question is, will we put them on our lap and take a candle and a Bible like D.L. Moody and say, listen, here is the word of God. This is the most important thing you can ever know. That's the question. Whoever wants this next generation the most is going to win them. The third thing, quickly, the next generation needs us to tell them stories of God's goodness and faithfulness. Hang with me for just a minute if y'all will. They need to hear stories of God's goodness and faithfulness. Chip, do we have pictures from Emily Loaded? I want you guys to look at this. Pull up this first one here. This guy on the left right here is my hero. He'll get to listen to this message in a week or so. That's my dad on the left right there. He was 100. That's him in the white and the red stockings. Got a, a guy stacked up on his back. Keep scrolling through those, Chip. That's him taking a guy down. Stop right there. Remember that hair? Y'all remember that hair? He, he's going to hear this and laugh. Leave it there for a second. That's 1979. He was the most outstanding wrestler in the conference in, in Durham. Stellar wrestler. Awesome wrestler. Tough-nosed guy. 126 pounds soaking wet. Go to the next one, Chip. That's my favorite picture of all time anywhere. He's got a guy stacked up on his shoulders. He's pinning him and balancing on his head and one hand while he's pinning this guy. If you've wrestled or know anything about wrestling, that is unbelievable. Do I have any more, Chip? Leave that one up for just a moment. When I was a boy, my favorite thing to do was get in the truck and listen to stories about this. I loved hearing my dad talk about wrestling. Man, he'd tell me some of the greatest stories. I'd six years old and I'd be ready to fight somebody when I came out of that truck. Because that story just inspired me and it moved me. I went back this week. I said, text me that story about Victor White, Dad. And he told me about Victor White. Victor White was a state champion the year before. And he injured my dad's shoulder. And my dad faced him again the next year. My dad said, I looked at him and I was scared to death. He said, I was terrified. He'd already messed up my shoulder. I didn't know what was going to happen. 
Dad went into the match with that, took it to him, took it to him, and was beating him by two points. The state champion was beating him by two points. Victor turned him in the last second, put him on his back, scored three points, and beat my dad by one. My dad was an outstanding wrestler. When he told me these stories, you know what I did? I ran home. I got out the picture books. Remember those before we scrolled through here? I got out the albums, and I looked through them one at a time, and I thought, man, I want to be just like that. And I'd go get his letterman jacket with a J on it for Jordan High School. I'd put that thing on, and I'd walk around the house, and the sleeves hung down to here on me. I asked him, Dad, can I wear that to school? You know what he said to me? You need to get your own, son. You know what I did when I got to high school? I got my own. Four years I was the starter on my high school wrestling team. I was the captain my senior year. I wore that jacket. Why did I wear that jacket? Because I loved to hear the stories about my dad and his past experience motivated me to do something in the future. This new group of Israelites needed to hear some stories. It would sink deep into their hearts and influence their lives. Look at verse 20 and I'm about to finish up. You can take that down, Chip. Thank you. Verse 20. Moses tells them, there's going to come a day when your kids are going to ask you, please hear this, listen, I love this. Daddy, why do we do all these things for God? And then he tells them, Daddy, Mommy, Grandma, Grandpa, here's what you must say. Can you imagine the moment this son is looking at Dad and saying, why did you do all that stuff? And dad looks at his son and pulls him close and he says, son, let me tell you what God's done for our family. What if dad didn't know what to say in that moment? What if dad had checked out on his Jewish faith when his son said, tell me why you're doing these things. Why do you read your Bible, daddy? Why do you put your hands together when you pray, daddy? Why do you give that money every time that plate goes by, daddy? I don't know, son. That's just the way we've always done it. What a terrible tragedy. If that was daddy's answer. But what if daddy could say, son, here's why I give my money. Because when I was little, my mom and dad taught me that the first part of what I get goes to God because it's all his anyway. What if daddy knows what to say? What if mommy knows what to say? What if grandma and grandpa and some of you in here that don't have children or grandchildren can come along and be a helper and say, I know what to say. If we want to lean into that which is going to outlive us, we need to learn from those who have gone before us. Let me close with this from 2 Kings chapter 20. I'm skipping ahead. 2 Kings chapter 20. Isaiah tells King Hezekiah that his kingdom, his treasures, and his descendants are going to be carted off into exile. Okay? Isaiah the prophet comes along to the king and he says, A bad day is coming for you, buddy. Your treasures from your temple, your descendants and your grandchildren and your great-grandchildren. Everything you have in your kingdom is going to be carted off into exile. And listen to what Hezekiah says to Isaiah. This message you give me from the Lord is good. Because the king was thinking. At least there will be peace and security during my lifetime. What a short-sighted way to look at a panoramic plan of God for His people. I don't want to look at my day. I want to look to what my children and my grandchildren are going to face 
so that I can prepare them with the Word of God, through the Spirit of God, by the help of God, to step into a day, listen, that I will never go to. Let's pray.